Um, Passionate Life Church is, is stepping into a season of harvest, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do. But let me pray for us before we get into the Word today. Jesus, thank you so much. Thanks for your presence. Thanks for your goodness. God, thanks for being a God who's near, who forgives, who sees us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, activate uh, the Holy Spirit's voice in, in our hearts and minds today, that we would lean into your Word. God, that we'd be changed because of it, that you'd get us out of the way, that you'd speak to us fully. Lord, get me out of your way. Let, let this be a, a Sunday, a morning where decisions are made, lives are changed, and God, we walk out of here more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. So how many of you guys would say you know how much of a gift it is to be what I would call like seen and known? How many of you guys understand like it's not, it's not a norm to always be seen and known? You kind of, we're in a lot of environments where we're just kind of in passing and we have acquaintances and somebody knows what you do, whether at your job or in your role or kind of what you function as, but it's, it's rare that people actually know us, that they see us, that they value us, that they get who God has made us to be. And I don't know how you're in the room. I know many people in our world, probably many people in this room, often feel lonely, undervalued, unknown, isolated, and, and we struggle with this. This our identity is wrapped up in, in who we're known by, I think, a lot of times. And so many people struggle with having identity in this way. So I want you to kind of pause. Think over your life. Just like take a mental inventory of some of the people in your past and maybe your present today that, that have spoken to you, that, that you feel really saw you or really saw more in you. They, they called out some things in you that, that maybe you didn't know were there at first. You, you really felt seen and known by them, and it impacted you. It, it changed you. Who are those key markers throughout your life where, like, this was a season where this person was there. This was a person that really shaped something in me here. This is a person that said this to me, and I've never forgot it. I hope you all have people like that. I know for me, I think of some of those. Uh, I was kind of just, again, like I said, that mental inventory back over my life. There was a guy named Ben Sprinkle. I thought my last name was weird and hard to pronounce. That one was just fun to say. It's like bubbles. Like, it's just... Frankel, I don't know what it is, uh, but he was my youth pastor when I was almost 16, and uh, man, he saw me. Uh, you know, it was a large youth group. I was a new kid kind of thing, coming out of a rough, some rough family stuff. I moved out with my mom, and uh, this youth pastor is part of the reason I went into ministry because he, he did something. I was like, well, he made a difference in my life. I could do that, but I got to preach my first message at 16 in front of a church because he worked with me for like six months. Like he's like, pick your pick your your topic, get your passage. Now, what's on your heart? Seek the Lord, pray about this, craft it. We I remember sitting on like this park bench around this lake. We'd meet up like once every couple weeks, and he would just have me like stand there and like preach to the lake. And he'd listen, be like, hey, let me pause you right there. That made no sense, you know. He just like he, he was just he nurtured that gift in me of what God was going to lead me to do, and I didn't know it. I just thought I was just being obedient because he asked me to preach, right? But that that was a guy who poured into me. There was a guy that, in a different level, his name is Wayne Quisada. I was 10 years old. My dad just left. Um, life had fallen apart. And this, this man at church, we called him the candy man. Now, today, that would be awkward and scary, right? You'd kind of avoid that. <laughs> Probably lives in a van down by the river. He didn't. This was the good days of the candy man, right? Uh, but he'd go around, and he had these little candies he'd give out to all the kids. Well, I was new to Christianity, right? I had literally just met Jesus. I came out of Catholicism, met Jesus through Rwanda's, got saved. And this guy knew that my family had just been rocked by some things. And he didn't just give me the normal candy. He had special candy. Now, again, that sounds creepy. I get it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I won't go there. But he had those Ryzen candies, those caramel chocolate ones. He had these other, like, red 
candy ball filled with some strawberry juice, which was my favorite apparently at the time. Uh, and he would say like, hey man, you know, God loves you. God sees you. He would just like speak love over me. And I needed that. I felt special. Like I, I would look, Mr. Quesada, he valued me. And that's what made the difference. Actually, one that made the list I was pouring through was Andrew Thurber. God brought Andrew Thurber to me as a friend in probably the lowest point of ministry for me. This was probably four years ago. We were leading a church in the Springs. And man, like there was, there were so many broken things within the church when we picked it up. And it, I poured my life into it. And I hit this point where I was like, I don't know what I have left. Preaching every Sunday, counseling like nine couples out of adultery and divorces and just crazy leading team. Like I was exhausted and drained and leaning on my strength. And he was just this consistent voice in my life that called some good stuff out in me, kept pointing me back to the Holy Spirit of God and, and nurtured, the, the, fanned the flame that was in me. And, and we're still in ministry, obviously, and they spoke a lot into us. But he's been a true friend. There was a guy, I don't even know his last name, his name's Jeremy. That's all we, uh, he was one of the like camp counselor trainer people at a Christian camp I worked at. And Jeremy was the first one to ever call, nah, maybe not the first one, there's probably others. But the first one I remember, he called out the gift of servant leadership in me. Others had called out leadership gifts and things like that. But I remember in that summer training, multiple times, there were different, he like put us through like a test as counselors to see like how we would do in certain team building scenarios. And at multiple tests, he always had the theme of servant leadership. And I didn't know what he was doing in those moments. But um, I remember specifically, he in front of others said, Mike, it's really clear you have the gift of servant leadership. And I was, I was shocked because I'm like thinking I'm going to you know, powerhouse this in. And he, he just called out that kind of softer side of, Jesus came to serve. And it spoke something in me. It shaped my ministry. Uh, Another guy was uh, George Gaw. You guys wouldn't know him. We were leading a church down in Texas for like five years. George was about 10, 15 years older than me. He was like a father figure, older brother who consistently just loved the heck out of my family, especially my wife. My wife has, uh, some of the men in her life have not seen God's gift in her life. I've called it out. I know Pastor Andrew's called it out. Other men have done a great job of this. George was one of those. And that blessing to our family of seeing us, investing in us, he, he's the one that really discipled me in how to do like funerals, uh, hospital visits, caring for people in their darkest times. I used to like, if I can just be honest, those are hard moments as a pastor. If you never like knew how to do that, he, he shaped it from like me being kind of timid to that to, man, this is really a privilege and a joy to be there for people in some of their hardest times. This is where you get to be Jesus in a very palpable way. And so I'm just thankful for some of the people that shaped my life. My wife has obviously spoken to me, my mom, others, uh, many others along the path have, but these were some for me that I think really saw me, saw into me, saw some things I didn't know were there and called it out. And so um, for these people, and I think of many others in your life, there's people who hopefully you have these in your mind, stopped and intentionally poured in, made you feel loved and known, and it changed you. So I just, I, I wonder, who are those people for you? I'm sure you're Stories are kind of going off in your own mind, but here's the challenge. You and I are called to be those people for others. We've had those moments, hopefully, but we're called to be those people that see and know and and call some stuff out in us. Those are the ones that we're called to be for others, to really see them. And not just those that come easy to us, not just those that we enjoy or are comfortable with, but those that I want to refer to as the one today. We desperately need to see the one. I want to get into some sermons, some uh, scriptures today, but here's the thing. Jesus is the example in this. He consistently saw the one. 
those hurting, maybe outcast people that were rejected by others or unseen or unnoticed or uh, nobody really cared for them. Maybe they had low reputation or whatever it was. Jesus consistently saw the one. So we're going to look at some of these scriptures, but I, I, I want to say something to us because Jesus absolutely stopped and saw people. It was life-changing for so many. But here's the thing. I want to clarify something for us. Seeing people the way Jesus did starts with how we see Jesus. Let me clarify. Let me say this a different way. Before we can start seeing people the way Jesus did, we may need to shift and change some things about how we think Jesus sees us. I don't know about you. I, I look so often, I have to wrestle this mentality, is that Jesus is kind of just disappointed in me. He looks at me and he's like, oh yeah, that's my son. I love him, but he's got this, or he does that, or he fails like this. I constantly live in like the shame of the guilt of some of the sins, right? Jesus doesn't look at us that way. He looks with grace and compassion, and it doesn't make sense, but he just wants us. He wants our heart. He doesn't need your actions, although they follow when he has your heart. He just wants you. So if we can maybe start to shift the way we're seen by Jesus or how we look at him, it will start to impact the other areas of how we see his people or those he loves. So maybe the reality is you didn't have gracious parents. Maybe you didn't have a loving father. Maybe there haven't been those people, as I said, who are those people for you? You're kind of struggling to think, man, who were the people that spoke into me? I don't, I remember what they said and that hurt. I remember this and, and I, I, there may have been that for you. And I just want you to know, man, at first, I'm sorry that maybe those were your experiences and the, those are what have been big staple, you know, points in your life. But hear me when I say this, no matter what your experience was with some broken people in this broken world, that is not an accurate picture of your father's love for you. Your heavenly father, God in heaven, almighty who made everything, gave his only son for you to be in a relationship with you so that you could not just be cleansed by him and forgiven by him, but to be in a relationship with God, to have access to the throne, to be under his grace and in his love and in this walked out kindness with him. That's just crazy to think. I have the ear of the creator. He listens when we talk. We, we, we can call to him for healing and help, and he's there. He's available. It's crazy. Jesus came to make you whole, to get you into a full relationship with him. He loves you. So regardless of what your experience was growing up or what maybe it is even right now, our God sent his son to make sure you could be in his family. He wants you. So when we look at the Father's love for us, how we see and engage with, with the ones that God loves is going to be impacted by understanding and embracing how God sees us. That's kind of the shift that takes place before we even get into this. So I want to spend some time in some scriptures to help paint the picture of who Jesus is and how we're to be. But here's the thing. This, this, this challenge I'm giving us today to really see the one, this only flows out of an everyday walk and pursuit of Jesus. Because this isn't natural. What I'm going to challenge us with, to see the one, to go out of our way to see people and invest and all these things, isn't the norm. It, it has to be an overflow from time spent with Jesus. And this is how he lived his life. So Jesus was known for his authentic compassion, his genuine empathy towards people. He spent time with people. He saw even the most insignificant of people, and he poured his life into them. And there's this, it's, it's always like the scenario. He saw them. He stopped. And then he boldly reminded them of their value. That was kind of the equation of how Jesus interacted with people. And I, like the, the, the conviction point is, is that my interaction with people? 
When I'm getting a coffee, do I stop? Do I see the person? Do I remind them how how much God values them? Do I say, hey man, God loves you. I just want you to know God sees you today. I don't know what you're going through. Thanks for my coffee. Hope you have a great day. Like, what are my engagements with people? See, he stopped, he saw, and he valued. That was who we're claiming to follow. So as we get into the scriptures today, I got three different stories I want to share with us. Moments where Jesus interacted with somebody, and this is the challenge. Luke 19, starting in verse 1, it says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So he wasn't even there like as a believer. He's maybe looking at a sideshow. Oh, I heard this, this healer is coming to town. Let's go take a look. He's just there, who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Any, anybody want to say, I understand short people problems? It's okay to raise your hand. <laughs> so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. I mean, just a moment. It says he's passing through Jericho. He's with people. There's a crowd. There's a mission he's after. But he, he stops and he looks up. That's intentionality. He doesn't just notice somebody in the tree and be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm doing something else. He looks up, it says. Um, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. You'll see this time and time and time again. Called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. What is he doing? Does he, he, he doesn't know that guy. Starts to question his character. He has gone to the guest to be the guest of a sinner, they said. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. This is radical. The guy's rich that just told us this. Jesus stopped, saw him and said, I, I'm going to come to your house. I want to have dinner with you. I want to spend a moment with you. And immediately this, this tax collecting cheater of his people goes from being down the tree to just see the sideshow to going, whoa, I'm rocked. This person saw me. Every, half of what I have, I'm giving it, Lord. I'm giving it right now. Half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. In other words, little Zach just went broke, right? He's cheated a lot of people. He's about to pay him back four times. I don't care how wealthy you are. You're paying back all the people you cheated four times over. He's broke, all right? Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What a story. What a moment. The power of moments when you see people. You call them to something. And they get to know Jesus. As you know, Zach was this tax collector despised by his fellow people, right? He'd been cheating his own people. He works for the Roman government. And, you know, he can always just get a little more tax to pocket it himself. So he was not looked at very well of his people. But Jesus saw past Zach's, you know, tattered past, his reputation. He, He looked past that, saw who he was, who God wanted him to be. And he went out of his way to meet him and to spend intimate time with him. This is the challenge for us. Life's busy, isn't it? Life is scheduled. Life has things that we have to accomplish. Jesus stops often, but he does it here with Zach and in this intimate time that he gives him. Absolutely, does, does you know, Jesus have a great mission that he's chasing? Does he have a big to-do list of things he's got to accomplish in the three and a half years of earthly ministry that we get him? He's got all the things to do. He's had a full schedule. As we know, time is a valuable resource. It was for Jesus. It, was, it is for us. 
Giving people our focus and attention time changes lives. How often do we do that? How often do we stop and see people? Or just go about our day and our errands and our things? How often do we stop and not just see them, but get quality, intimate time talking with them, engaging with them? This guy's whole life was turned upside down because of moments where he was seen by Jesus and invited into something deeper. That's the call in our life. See, we got to think about this. Practically, I'm a very practical person. If I, I can hear a challenge and be like, oh, I, I get nothing from it if I do nothing with it, right? Oh, I'm, that, was, that was good, that was challenging, I go home and I'm the same. That, that was worthless. Practically, what would this look like for us? What should this shift for us? I wonder who in your life needs this kind of value? Who would have their life flipped upside down if you stopped, saw them, and invited in for an intimate moment to, to, to hear their story, to talk to them about God's love for them, to, to share truth with them? Who needs this kind of value? And Maybe the way I like to think about it, who is unknowingly waiting for you to show them a Jesus who stops and sees? Who doesn't even know they need it? Zach, I'm just here for the sideshow. I'm just going about my business. I'm, I'm wealthy. I'm fine. There's a lot of fine people in our world who are coasting without Christ, but they don't know that interaction that, that could radically shift everything and change their eternity. And, and maybe they're unknowingly waiting for you to show them there's a God who isn't just out there letting bad things happen, but is personal and intimate and wants a relationship, who wants to spend time knowing who they are. You can be that to people. So I wonder who is God going to put into your path this week as we lean into this new awareness of what God is hoping we'll see in the world around us? Who is he going to bring across your path this week? What are you going to do about it? Second story, John chapter 4. Really, the story goes from verse 7 all the way through 26, but I want to pick it up in verse 7. We'll just read a few here. This is where Jesus encounters the infamous woman at the well. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because as we know, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For context would have told us, Jews and Samaritans don't mix. They don't associate. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, there is some bad blood between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans, if you could do the history, there was like the Assyrians came in and they raided and ransacked Jewish towns and people. So Assyrians were like the, the brutal enemy of the Jews. But Samaritans are Jews who intermarried and intermingled and had children with their brutal enemy, the Assyrians, and had offspring and kids. And so those people became known as Samaritans. So it's like our people mixed with our worst enemies and made kids. So Samaritans were like the, they were lower than dogs in the society. They were looked at like, we don't associate, we don't talk to you. Jesus went to somebody that had so many cultural differences and low reputation and somebody that really he shouldn't be talking to in their eyes. And he stops again. We, we, the disciples are out, they're looking for food, which is pretty common if you read this in the gospel. Like, ah, oh, we're hungry. All right, grab some grain. Oh, God, we're hungry. All right, we'll take some bread. You know, like, always thinking about food. And Jesus has this message of my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm fulfilled in doing the work of God. But the disciples are out searching for food. They're running an errand. Jesus technically kind of probably should be with them, right? They're, they're a crew. They roll in town together. They're on mission together. But again, we see Jesus, our example. We see Jesus willing to slow down the to-do list, 
willing to slow down in his pursuit of comfort or food or fulfillment or plans. He slows all that down. He stops that to intentionally position himself to be present. Jesus intentionally positions himself to be present all the time in our lives. And he is calling you to intentionally position yourself to be present in the lives of people that he loves. That's the call on our life. Jesus sees her. He engages her in conversation. And what ends up happening is he offers her living water. He, again, it's a story you read it through verse 26. Her whole life is turned upside down. She runs back into town with a testimony. I met the man. He told me all that I am. He's, my, he's the Savior. He's the God. He's the Messiah. Everybody, you need to know him. She's a Samaritan. She would have talked to nobody. And now she knows Jesus. He intentionally stopped and engaged her in a conversation. So often we're kind of afraid because we feel like every conversation about Jesus has to be a debate. It doesn't. I I like talking about cheesecake. Cheesecake isn't a debate. I love it. I talk about it. When I go to a restaurant, I talk to the waiter. Hey, which kind is your favorite? I love this stuff. Strawberry, graham crust. What's the the top layer like? Like, I talk about something I love and we don't debate. They got a different opinion. I don't really care. I know where I stand. (laughs) Right? Talks about thing we love. Jesus doesn't have to be a debate. We're just talking about something we love. You can have a different opinion, but I'm going to sway you to mine because I'm a little more passionate than you are. Yeah. Right? We engage with people. Start conversation. Ask good questions. I had a friend. I used to do like different things to like get to know people. And I just started putting this one into practice. I asked actually one of you today, uh, what's something fresh? Like a way to get to know people. Ask them something fun. Ask them about their family. Ask about... I've actually learned, here's a little free pro tip. Don't ask people what they do, especially men. Don't ask another man what they do. It instantly makes their, their identity feel like it's what they do instead of who they are. Just, just a freebie, okay? I'm learning this. I stopped asking people what they do. It comes up in conversation, that's fine. Uh, fun, family, what's fresh right now, and what are you focused on? I was like, ooh, I like those. Like, I like alliteration for one, which just helps me. All the Fs just make it easy. But Jesus started conversations. How can we start conversations with people that really get them thinking, that give them an opportunity to share a story, that get them to share something that lets us in? That's the goal. If they let us in, we're, we're going to represent Jesus, and we're going to share, hey, man, that's really cool. Like, conversations open when we initiate asking good questions. Jesus had a great conversation with this woman. Most people, see, here's the thing. He offers her living water. He's like, hey, can you get me a drink? If you knew who was asking you, you would have asked me for living water. And you'd have been fulfilled beyond your wildest dreams, right? Most people don't know how parched they are. Most people don't know how much they need Jesus. They're just going about their day. They're just there to get their water, their fix, their whatever for the moment. Often, the way we get living water into people is through real conversation. Caring, seeing them conversation. So are we willing to engage in meaningful conversation that points people to the hope and salvation only found in Jesus? That's the call on our life. So can I give you that? It's like a really, again, practical challenge because I thought about this and this is something I, I want to seek to do in the very near future. I'm not going to put a timeline because I know life can get crazy and I'm going to wait to see the right person. Maybe this is a homeless person that you avoid eye contact with at the stoplight. Time and time and time again, you're just like, oh, window up, radio up, I'm busy, uh, I'm messing with something, yep, uh. we, we know that moment, oh, what do I do, right? Maybe this is a homeless person that you've avoided that God may, from this point forward, at least once, put on your heart to intentionally bring them an extra lunch. You stop, you park across the street, awkwardly walk to the corner, hey, I'm, hey I don't want to embarrass you, I was just hoping to share lunch with you. Is that cool if we do that? Can you imagine that moment? Now, they might reject you. I've, I've actually done this with our kids before. We've gotten out, I've brought a lunch up, I've sat under an underpass, 
with an extra Burger King, and the person like kicked it down the thing. They were, I mean, there was like evil spirit, and I don't know what happened, but like they kicked it down, kicked the pop that I got them, and I was like, hey, I just want you to know, whatever you're walking through, I like, I was like, okay, time to walk away, right? There's moments to be wise, and there's moments to invest, but what if that that interaction is what they've been waiting on to feel seen by God? Can you imagine if we gave the extra time? What if maybe it's something a little more simple? Let's, let's bring it back. Uh, maybe you're not going to get out of the car and do that with a homeless person. I challenge every one of you to do this. It would change your city, but. Maybe it's this next Sunday. Maybe it's today. Maybe you hang around a little extra in the lobby. You look for somebody you haven't met. You look for somebody that looks new. And you say, hey, I don't, do you have a place to sit yet? I'd love you to come sit with me. I'm, you introduce yourself, ask a couple of those questions. Uh, I don't know what you're doing after church. I'd love to treat you to lunch, hear your story. Uh, I love getting to know people's story. And you go, you, you hear their story, you pray over them, you look for them next Sunday. They feel home, seen, known, loved, valued. Imagine the difference we can make if we start seeing people. We start praying before we go to the grocery store and running our errands with other people like the disciples did. And we say, Spirit, would you awaken me today? Would you alert my eyes today to see people how you want me to see them and that I'll take action, be on the lookout. Jesus, make me obedient and aware today. Can you imagine the difference that we would spend our, our errands on? There's a lot we could say about this, but give yourself extra time is the, is the little freebie I would give you. Give yourself extra time for the Spirit to lead you. So, last one. The last person I want to talk about is the blind beggar. We find this story in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard this, or when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. They're like, man, shut up. You, know, you don't know who this is. Stop yelling at him. He's busy. He's got a mission. He's on a task. He's with his people. He's in the crowd. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. And he shouted all the more. He's desperate. Son of David, have mercy on me. And again, we see it. Jesus stops. He stops the crowd moving. He stops the mission. He stops where he's headed. He stops the whole show. And he says, call him. Call him to me. So they called to the blind man. Hey, cheer up, man. On your feet. He's calling you. Get up here. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he comes to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus? The blind man said, Rabbi, ah, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now hear me for a minute. Because it's really easy to see ourselves as one of the disciples that was like, hey man, cheer up. He's calling you. It's really easy. I, I, I look at the story and I originally think, it's Jesus and me and the disciples and I'm the guy. We were the blind man. We're the beggar in this story. We're those that didn't maybe even know we were how blind we were. And Jesus came into our life and he stopped the show and called us and said, hey, I want you and my family. Come to me. Salvation's coming to you today. We're that person, and when we get callous to that, when we forget that truth, we forget others. There's an old phrase, you probably heard it, find people, or found people, find others. Find, found people, find people, right? When you've been found and awakened by Jesus, you can't help but tell somebody else with you, but we get callous, we get comfortable, we get busy. We're consistently called to stop and to see people the way that Jesus saw them. See, never forget that that was you and me before Jesus stopped and called us to himself. That will shift things. That's the truth that helps us find other blind people. So many people in our life are spiritually blind and they don't even know it. 
They don't even know that they're groping through the world trying to find their way. And really the answer is Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. He's the only hope we have. That's the truth. So the question, how does Jesus engage? Well, he sees people through the crowds, through the tasks, through where he's headed, and he stops. Obediently surrendered to the Spirit of God, stops and sees the people around him. Calls them by name. And he heals them. This is the call on our life. So, you once were the blind person. Some of you in the room, maybe honestly, you still haven't come to that point with Jesus where he's awakened you and given you salvation. We're going to talk to you in a minute. But for those that do identify now as disciples in the story, you've been, like it says, you know, he followed him. He, he uh, immediately received his light, sight and began following Jesus along the road. He went from being a blind person to a follower. That's us. That's our story. So now, as disciples, as followers, which of us will lead those blind people by the hand of Jesus? That's the call in our life. You've been commissioned. If the Spirit of God is in you, if you've come from spiritually being blind to getting your sight back in Jesus and having your eyes fixed on Him, you're now commissioned to see people. You're commissioned to use those eyes that God has opened to love people. Aren't you glad He looked at you with compassion? Aren't you glad he called you by name out of the out of the darkness? If we get this, your city, your neighborhood, the stores you visit, the errands you run, the people that are around you that don't even know they're blind, the people that are around you that don't know they're spiritually parched, might radically come to know Jesus and flip their whole world upside down. Change legacies, change generations because of you just simply seeing them calling them down, calling them into conversation. How are we going to engage? See, three stories today. You and I are so much like Jesus when we see people the way he does. The first story, as valuable. Secondly, as worth our time. Third, in need of healing, in need of Jesus. People, we're called to a higher availability. In Christ, you are called for a higher availability when the Spirit urges you and leads you. we got to stop just settling and, oh, I see somebody in that, uh, and we avoid it. Man, lean in. God, what do you want me to do? Spirit, lead me. So now, hopefully, with our eyes intentionally open, I wonder, who are you going to see this week? Who are you going to actually see, stop, and value this week? I can't wait to hear these stories. I can't wait to hear these testimonies of what God is going to do in their life and in yours when you become obedient to this. I'm going to close out. Give us some time to respond. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I'm, I'm pretty new to this church thing, or maybe I, I haven't been willing to surrender me to him yet. I mean, I didn't understand it, but today I'm seeing Jesus as a God who loves me who's given everything for me to be in his family. I want right now, all, honestly, all of us in this room are going to pray with you. If that's you and you're like, I, I, today I'm ready to give my life to Jesus for the first time or this is a restart for me, I'm recommitting my life. How many of you boldly say, that's me today. I'm, I'm here and I'm going to give my life to Jesus today or I'm going to renew. I see at least a hand here, a little dark. I, I think I see another hand in the back. Man, let's celebrate uh, with that decision. Whole church family. This is your moment. If this is you, you, you want to give your life to Christ or recommit to Christ. I want all of us right now as a church family to pray together. Heavenly Father, oh, out loud together. Heavenly Father, we surrender to you. 
We give you our lives. Thanks for dying in our place, for forgiving our sin. Make us more like you. We call on you to save us. Thank you for dying and making me new. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those that just gave their life to Jesus this morning. We'd love to talk with you, share what it looks like to walk with him.